chapter 4, verse 14 through 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, pro- to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is that not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me to this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought to him, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. All right. Um, again, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, um, we thank you again for, um, for all your goodness, all your blessing, all your mercy. Um, God, we thank you for, um, God meeting us uh, in this place. Father, as we open your word, um, we ask that, um, you would use your word, uh, that you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would shine light on this text, that you would shine light on our own hearts, uh, that we would see, um, the word of God rightly. Um, that, um, that you would bring things to our attention in it, um, God, and that you would use it to, um, God, not only to reveal yourself, but to convict, um, our own hearts. Um, God, we thank you again, um, for all the, the, the blessings, um, that we experience even in these difficult times. God, we thank you for these blessings of technology. Um, God, we thank you that, um, God, we can still connect, that we can talk to each other, that we can see each other face to face, um, through, um, through different technologies, God. Um, we recognize if this had happened, um, just a generation ago, uh, none of these things would be options for us, God. Um, as, as difficult as it is and as, as, um, lonely and, and strange as the conditions are, God, we thank you for your mercies in this time. Father, we continue to ask that you would, um, work in the realm of this coronavirus. Um, God, that you would work through public officials to make wise decisions, that you would, um, work through scientists and healthcare professionals as they continue to work, 
um, not only on treatment, um, but on uh, cure. Um, God, we pray for, um, God, the, the first responders and people um, who are in um, positions that are still having to work and as they deal with these things. Um, God, and that you use work in, in each of our homes. Um, God, many t- places, um, certainly in, in, in Maryville, in, in some ways, we're not experiencing um, the difficulties that other parts of the country are. And yet, um, these bring their own trying situations, God, not only f- from temptation, um, but also through economic difficulty and all those things. God, these are large, intricate problems, multifaceted problems. Um, it is difficult to get a handle on all aspects of them, God. And so we ask again that your um, prevailing um, and and your wisdom that can work through all of these things um, would be acknowledged and pursued um, God and that you would bless our communities and our nation and our world we thank you God we praise you we ask these things as we come to your word in Jesus name amen all right so I think tonight I've got a little more sermon than I've got time uh, so I'm just going to jump into it and we are going to get moving. Um, so we are in Luke, um, again, chapter four. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 30. This is the story of Jesus' rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. And so, uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump into the text and I'll kind of introduce it a little bit as we, as we work through the beginning of the text, um, as we, as we kind of come to the meat of the passage. So in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in power. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. All right, so so just says a little bit of information to to orient yourself to to where we're at. Um, notice how the passage sets the stage, right? So Jesus has returned from the wilderness. We talked about that passage last week, where Jesus is tempted when he is in the wilderness. Jesus has returned from the wilderness and he has been teaching and preaching in the synagogues and, and, and just in the area of Galilee. Okay. So if you've, if you've got a Bible and you've got a map in the back of your Bible, I'm sure you've probably looked at it before and you know that the Sea of Galilee kind of sits in the northern part of the country. Um, and it actually goes by several names. Um, it's, it's sometimes called Lake Tiberias. It's sometimes called Lake Gennesaret. Um, but, but it is a, a body of water that's about 13 miles long by eight miles wide, which is sort of funny because Sea of Galilee seems a little ambitious for, for the name of it. It's, it's, it's definitely more of a lake size. Um, but it's fed by the snows that come out of the mountains in the north that are, are there sort of in Lebanon, Assyria. Um, there's a mountain there in, in the north called Mount Hermon that, that comes into the biblical narrative at different points. And so the Jordan um, uh, River flows from Mount Hermon into the Sea of Galilee and then out of the Sea of Galilee down into uh, the Dead Sea. And so what we notice is this, is that Jesus, the beginning of his ministry is primarily in this region of the Galilee. Okay, so chapters in, in Luke's gospel, chapters four through nine um, are all talking about and taking, a, taking place in this area around the Sea of Galilee. Now, what I want you to notice, for one, is that there has been some time that has lapsed between Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and then this passage that we have here. Okay, even though they're right next to each other, um, what we get the impression of is that Jesus has been um, preaching 
primarily probably in Capernaum. He has kind of come to the city of Capernaum and set up his his home base, you could say, his his ministry base um, to begin his ministry. And and there's been a little bit of time that's elapsed, right? He has had time to teach in these places, even though in Luke, these two passages are back to back. The other gospel writers give us a little bit better picture, maybe, of that, because they hold the story of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth off for a little while, okay? So, for example, Matthew doesn't talk about it until chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. So there's a lot of content before we even get that story. Mark doesn't talk about it until chapter 6. And so even he waits a little bit longer, okay? But Matthew and Mark's accounts of this story are very similar. They're almost identical, okay? But Luke has a unique perspective and unique content that he brings to the story. And so we have to ask ourselves, one, is is why? Uh, Why is it that Luke tells the story a little bit different than the other um, gospel writers? And I think the reason is, is because this passage in, in one way, at least one aspect of why he tells it this way, is, is it is outlining, um, the, Luke's story, and it is sort of foreshadowing what is to come in his story, right? So we see a description of of Jesus' future ministry in this passage, and we see a picture of the people's eventual and ultimate response to Jesus and his ministry, all right? And so that is true. It shows us an opportunity um, um, to kind of get a glimpse into Um, what Luke is going to show us in terms of the life and ministry of Jesus. But it also does something else, I think. It also gives us an opportunity um, to see people welcoming Jesus and accepting him for what he says, or at least having an opportunity to welcome him and accept him for what he says. And so it becomes a pivotal moment, um, not only for in Jesus' ministry, but honestly in our lives too. It's something that we begin to recognize that there are applications to our own lives. it is an opportunity for us to believe or disbelieve. It is an opportunity for us to um, accept or reject. And right, and what we see in this passage is is rejection happens in in maybe unexpected kind of places. Okay, um, and 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 I say that kind of with 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 quotes because um, it, it could be unexpected or it may be exactly what you would expect if you've read the scriptures um, a lot. And so, because he comes to these people who are um, his people from his hometown, right? They are the people who should know him best, who, people who have the most access to him, right? And yet, what we see is that that, cl- that closeness, that proximity, that familiarity um, with Jesus does not preclude, it does not hold at bay the chance that Jesus will be rejected by them. And in fact, he is ultimately rejected by them. And so that is our warning in this passage um, as well, that being around Jesus is not the same thing as being with Jesus or even for Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at this text and see a couple of places that you, again, might say are kind of ironic or unexpected um, ways or places um, or situations that Jesus is rejected in. Um, and at times that you might not have expected him to be rejected. And so the first one that we notice is this. Jesus is rejected among his own people. All right, so look at verse 16. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. 
Okay, so so what's happening here is Jesus goes to the Sabbath, uh, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and it says as was his custom. Right, it was a part of his habit, his custom, his his weekly expression of devotion to God to go to the synagogue. That is to say, putting it in our terms, Jesus went to church every week. Right. That I'm going to kind of take a little tangent real quick before we get started, um, but that's an important point to notice, all right, that Jesus sets the example for our gathering together. So this is, if you've been counting, this is week six for our church of, of Zoom Facebook Live church, right? And again, we are blessed to have these kind of technologies at our disposal, but there is a danger that comes along with this as well too, right? There is the danger that people will get used to saying, you know what, I can sit in my house by myself or, or with my immediate family and I can just watch um, a teaching or a sermon or, or something like that. And that is fine. That is good enough. That is what um, I would be meeting the expectations of God in worship. But the reality is, is that's not the case. Okay. Now there's always, there's, there's been a danger of that even before we got to this, this, this quarantine time, right? For years, man, there has been this plethora of, of online resources and sermons and podcasts and blogs and man, good, helpful, stuff that is out there, right? And so those things are great to use, but but what we have to recognize is that they cannot provide the things that the community provides, the community of faith, right? There are various things about the community of faith that are irreplaceable. And so, I mean, I think we could look at Jesus and say, if there was ever anyone who could worship God properly, on his own, right? To be fine on his own and, and stay at his house or, or whatever you want to say, it would be Jesus, right? But we find that he didn't do that. Um, that's not what Jesus' practice was. Jesus, on a weekly basis, joined the community of faith in worship. Now notice, moving on, that is, he, he joins this community and he comes back to this synagogue already knowing full well what these people will do, okay? That they will, before the story is over, they will be so enraged at Jesus that they will want to kill him. And yet, Jesus comes anyway. And so, again, what I would point to is it may seem counterintuitive, but but church, right, the gathering of believers is one of the most likely places that people tend to reject Jesus. Even though you come to a, a physical space, right, where, where Jesus regularly meets his people in, in, in a time of worship, right, that still can be a place where we find rejection of Jesus, there's all kinds of opportunities, right? Again, God has not only commanded these things, but there are so many blessings that come from meeting together as a community, right? To participate and serve and sing and give and fellowship and grow among God's people. And yet, probably we have all experienced that at the same time, church can be an awkward place. It can be an empty place. It can be hard or, or a lonely place to be in, right? And consequently, because of that, it can be a place that rejection seems easy to us. 
I think that's one of the struggle probably for a lot of folks trying to reconnect with God and getting back into church. And they think, you know, certainly I'm going to go to church and it's just going to be this uh, perfect spiritual experience where I'm going to be fulfilled and everything's going to click. And the reality is, is it's just not like that usually, right? Because again, we, we act like that rejection is something that is out there right? That rejection is something that is, is in the marketplace. It's in the culture. It's in the world, right? And, and certainly that's true. It is out there, but it's no less true that we do a pretty good job of rejecting Jesus in here. We get to do a pretty good job of rejecting Jesus inside the community of faith. In fact, that's one of the themes that we see throughout the gospel of Luke. Luke focuses in on, on these different groups, right? Like the Pharisees, um, the scribes, the priests, right? Church people, right? Religious people who in Luke's narrative are a big part of the problem. And people who tend to reject Jesus, maybe in a little bit different way than, than, than those outside, but they reject him all the, all the, nonetheless. The church is definitely a special place that God has not only ordained, but he has commanded us to meet. But we cannot think that that makes us immune to rejecting Jesus in this time, right? So that first place is, is, the, the, is the idea that even among God's people, we can reject Jesus. And that's in spite of unique opportunities that we are provided when we meet together, like the reading and the and and the teaching and the expounding upon God's word, which is actually the next thing that we see in this passage. And the next thing that I think is sort of a ironic place that you would see Jesus be rejected. And that is, he is rejected in his word. He is rejected when his word is presented. So when we engage with the word of God, when we are confronted by it, what we end up finding is that that is a common place to reject Jesus as well. So as, as part of a Jewish service, just like probably most of our church services, um, the scriptures are read at some point, probably at multiple times, lots of scripture. And Jesus is asked to read at this synagogue service, perhaps because he's already, there's some buzz maybe around him. Um, things are starting to circulate. People are hearing about his teaching and his miracles in other places. And so maybe that's the reason why they ask him um, to, to, te- uh, to, to read from the scriptures. And, and it says he gets up and he opens the scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up to um, chapter 61, verse 17. And he reads this in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the passage he reads, again, is from Isaiah 61, and and probably the very last line, verse 19, is actually drawn from Isaiah 58. And so it's a passage that proclaims a time of God's unique favor and blessing and even restoration for the land of Israel. And what we notice is something, if you're paying attention, is maybe you flipped back in your Bible to the actual section in Isaiah that we're reading from, you might have noticed that he's not actually quoting the Hebrew scriptures. 
Luke is actually quoting um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and and probably Jesus is quoting the Greek Old te- uh, translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint. Okay, and so that that accounts for a little bit of the the disparity between between the two passage passages in terms of of, of verbiage or whatever. But but here's what we want to focus on: is this is that neither Matthew or Mark tell us about the passage that Jesus reads. They don't even talk about that situation, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, why does Luke tell us? What is the specific reason Luke tells us? Well, most importantly, Luke tells us that because of what it tells us about Jesus, okay? Now, we've already said that it kind of foreshadows some things about Jesus' ministry and and, and things, but most importantly is that it shows us something and tells us something about Jesus. So look what happens. He reads that passage, and then in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, right? I'll bet, okay? Um, this this guy who's doing miracles and teaching and has, has arisen as a prophet, he comes and he reads this passage. People are just waiting for him to see what he says. And then in verse 41, he drops the bomb. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, so what does that mean, right? Well, what it means is this, is he is saying this passage, the words that were written 600 years previous, that were prophesying this, this, this era in, in the life of Israel, those things have now come to pass. I am the one who this passage is speaking of and by whom it will be fulfilled. The scriptures and this is what we see all over the place, right? Um, he, he doesn't say the words exactly, right? He doesn't just come out and say, hey, I'm, I'm the Messiah. You know, that that's not something we typically see um, in the Gospels. Um, but but he's functionally saying that, right? It's certain that that was the implication of the words he is saying. And what we notice, and again, all throughout Scripture, is the Scriptures testify to Jesus, right? They testify to who Jesus is, And and the word of God is compelling people to believe and to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. And so we have that same choice, right? When we come to his word, we see these things that Jesus says and and teaches and claims about himself, what the the Bible talks about and, and prophesies about him. And we have the same choice of acceptance or rejection. They tell us as we come to the scriptures, man, who uh, Jesus is, right? What he's done, what he calls his people um, to to be and how to live. And again, it, it, pre- it presents us at every moment with an opportunity to either believe or disbelieve. Right to to look to the Old Testament prophecies, to look to the New Testament accounts, and ask the question of ourselves: Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? The conviction of the scriptures is, I think, another counterintuitive place that we would reject Jesus, right? Because if you're a believer, and if you believe this is the word of God and that it's authoritative, right, it would seem to be the case, certainly, that if the word of God says something, if if it says, tells us to do something, we would listen to it, right? I'll follow Jesus wherever he leads me in the scriptures, right? That's what we would say. If he says, go, I'll go. If he says, do, I'll do. If he says, believe this, then I'll believe that. Except the reality is, is oftentimes we don't. 
often it is when we have even sometimes the most clear command and conviction from his word that we say no. Blatant commands, unequivocal claims, and yet we begin to give excuses and rationalizations and justifications and denials, right? We say, I won't go there. Uh, it's too much to ask, God. The command is is too much to expect of me. I, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. And so what we find is, man, the word, even though it seems counterintuitive, man, the word is an often... It's a typical place for us to reject Jesus. As we come to his word, we reject him as we, as we glean from it. Now, uh, here's the deal. This passage is uh, a little bit odd, okay? Certainly compared to the other two um, accounts in Matthew and Mark, right? Um, one thing that I think is is interesting is is and maybe a little confusing is that according to Luke's narrative, this is not the part of the story that the people get bent out of shape about. All right, okay, and so so uh, what we notice is that when he says functionally that I am the Messiah, that's not the place that they get bent out of shape. Although it seems to be something more like it um, in, in Matthew and Mark's gospels. Okay. In fact, it's actually kind of the opposite in our text. Um, in verse 22, it says all the people spoke well of him, right? And marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Okay. So, so Luke doesn't seem to indicate that the part that they have the most problem with um, is, is this saying that he has fulfilled scripture. That doesn't seem to be where they reject. Although when we look at Matthew and Mark's accounts, we get a little better picture of that, okay? And so Mark portrays the situation a little less positively, you could say at that point, right? So Mark says, um, he came to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? How are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters with us? So they were offended by him. Okay. And so in Mark and Matthew, we get, we get this picture that the offense comes almost immediately, right? Um, they are offended immediately because you could kind of maybe say it. Jesus is a hometown nobody. Okay. Um, if, if you were wanting to go and become a rabbi, right? If you were wanting to become a teacher in, in Israel at that time, you would have, um, gone through a process of going through various levels of schooling, um, right? You would progress through these things, eventually sat under the direct teaching of another rabbi. Um, and the reality is, is that Jesus hasn't done any of that, right? So in, in Mark and Matthew, the issue seems to be that they're saying, you know, why should we listen to you, Jesus, on spiritual matters or scriptural matters, right? You have no training. You have no expertise. You have no Bible college. You have no seminary. You have no doctorate. You're just a carpenter, right? So why would we listen to you? But interestingly, that doesn't seem to be the focus in Luke's gospel. And again, I'm not saying that those are contradictory, right? Those two, those, I think the things are going on at the same time, but we're just getting, we're seeing different aspects of this story by the different gospel writers. Luke tends to focus on a different aspect of the rejection. They don't just reject him because he's, he's familiar to them, right? He's, he's a hometown kid. Um, Luke shows us something different. They don't reject him because he claims to fulfill scripture, but they do reject him at the point 
where he calls out their sin. Okay, and so that's the third kind of place, again, maybe uh, unexpected, maybe expected, um, where we find ourselves rejecting Jesus Christ is when we are confronted with our sin. So look at verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So, so Jesus is basically saying this. He says, you want me to do some of the miraculous stuff that you have heard about me doing in these other towns. But here's the problem. I already know that you are not going to accept me. You do not have faith in these things. And so, again, it, it seems a little odd, maybe even at first glance unfair, because Jesus calls them out for rejecting him even before they have rejected them, rejected him. And, and, and the calling out for rejecting him actually seems to be the catalyst that brings the whole rejection situation to a head anyway. But, but here's what we have to remember is that Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what they're thinking. Matthew and Mark, again, show us that better. Jesus then reminds them of two stories, right, from the Old Testament. The first one is the story of Elijah and a woman named Zarephath. And in the story, there was a famine, and, and the woman and her son were starving, and she had one little portion of flour and one little portion of oil left, and then she was going to eat it and then starve to death. And and God miraculously made those two, that that clay jar of flour and that vial of oil, he made them last through the whole famine, okay? So every day she'd come and scoop some out. Every day she'd pour some out, and it never ran out. It just continued to go. And then later on, God actually blesses her by bringing her son back to life through Elijah. And so that's the first story. And then he also tells the story or reminds them of the story of Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, the successor, and then and, and, and a man named Naaman who was a commander of the army of Aram. Aram's a nation to the north. It was a Gentile enemy nation um, to the Jews. And he was told he had leprosy, and he was told to wash seven times in the Jordan River, and he would be cured of his leprosy, and, and that happened, okay? So Jesus sort of out of nowhere reminds them of these two stories, but what is the common feature there? The commonality is this, is that both those stories took place during times of unfaithfulness and unbelief on the part of Israel. And both of those stories are about how God, in turn, goes to the Gentiles and blesses them instead. And so Jesus is basically saying to these, these people in Nazareth, these people that he grew up with, you guys are doing and have the same heart and mindset, mindset and skepticism that the Israelites had. You are just like them. And, and again, we could ask ourselves, does he know this because he is God and can, can knows their hearts? Or does he just know it because he grew up there and he's been among these people and he knows the kind of people they are? Who knows, right? Maybe, maybe either, maybe both, but the result is ultimately the same. Look at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. 
Matthew adds a little bit to that. He says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark says he could not do mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Here's the deal. Often we are cool with Jesus, right? We speak well of him and marvel at his gracious words that are coming from his mouth, just as the people of Nazareth did, right up until the point that he tells us something that we don't want to hear, right up until the point where he calls us out for our sin and our hypocrisy. And then all of a sudden we get our backs up, right? You know, one of the most refreshing things as as a pastor, certainly, but, but really as a believer in general, is somebody who is an easy repenter. All right, do you, do you understand what I mean by that? Someone and I, I someone who, when they are confronted with their own sin, just easily, immediately, they don't react, they don't attack, they don't respond um, in 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 an aggressive way. They just sort of say, "Yeah, yeah, that's right. That uh, that is a sin." And, and I should not do that anymore, right? And they just, they, they easily repent of it right there. Um, I have to acknowledge that that's not the way I usually am, right? I don't usually, um, repent easily, right? There is a, the knee jerk gut reaction to say, to defend myself somehow or to, to, um, attack back or, or, or something like that, right? But those, those people who are easy repenters, like what we realize about them is, um, their, their ego or their, Self-image or their sense of rightness with God is not threatened by their sin being called out. In fact, just the opposite. When their sin is called out, it, 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 it's easy for them and an obvious decision to stop the sin and to follow Jesus more faithfully, right? Because that's what we're called to do as believers. You know, I, it's, it's, it's rare to find somebody who is like that all the time, but when it happens, man, it's, it's, it's encouraging and a blessing to see the Holy Spirit working in, in almost instantaneous kind of time. But those people, those easy repenters, they, 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 because their righteousness and their identity is based on Jesus and not in themselves or in their failures or in their sin, and they know that the goodness and mercy of God calls them to a closer and more faithful walk. They just repent. But that's not what we see here, right? In Luke's telling of the story, the people seem to be cool with Jesus as he talks to them until he calls them out for what he knows is in their heart already. And then suddenly everything shifts. Everything changes. They are filled with wrath towards Jesus and want to take his life. So kind of to close it out, Luke tells us this story again that, that is a foreshadowing, right? Not only of Jesus' ministry, but what's going to happen in the coming chapters and throughout the whole story, right? There is this picture in this story of an initial kind of acceptance. People seem to be cool with Jesus and pro Jesus and they and they think much of Jesus but later that rejection by the people of Israel starts to creep in until the ultimate rejection at the cross and moreover he points us towards through those two stories from the old testament he points towards the idea that maybe that the gentile world will in some ways 
be more receptive to the message. But again, it's it's not an opportunity for us to somehow uh, be arrogant or gloat because this story is also an opportunity for us to see the subtle ways and places that we all reject Jesus in our lives, right? And realize that we can sit among the community of God's people and still reject his call. That we can be convicted by his word and still refuse to believe what Jesus says. And that we can be confronted with our own sin and still refuse to repent and turn to Jesus. So as we close, what my prayer is for all of us is that when we encounter Jesus, that we may find him truly and that we might respond to him rightly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we confess our our fickle hearts. God, we confess the fact that we are prone to wander, that we are prone to leave you, God, that we are... um, God, that we can be so gung-ho um, when things are good and when we are in agreement with you. But, God, the second um, we have to make um, decisions that go against um, our nature and our ideas about the way things should be, God, that oftentimes we find ourselves rejecting Jesus just as other people in the Scriptures um, uh, have rejected you. God, we ask um, that you would work in us, God, that you would work in us, that we would be easy repenters, um, God, that we would um, make use of the time um, and the ways that you meet us. God, when we come together in in the sanctuary, when we come together as the gathering, uh, the gathered body of believers, God, that you would use those all the different elements of our, our worship and our time together, God, to convict our hearts and to draw us closer to you and into conformity with your son, God. Anytime we come to your word, God, whether that is through a sermon or through um, our own study or through a group who's, who's going through the Bible together, God, we pray that you would use that as a time, um, God, to, to convict our hearts and that we wouldn't just see your word and then begin trying to make excuses for why it doesn't apply or how things are different or, or or um, what the context um, says that 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 uh, some context that that makes it to where we don't have to listen to it, God. Let us just look to your word um, faithfully and truly um, and plainly, and understand what you are calling us to in those things, God. And and maybe most importantly, when our sin is presented to us, whether that is through a, a brother or sister in Christ um, calling us on our sin, God, or whether it is through the working of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts, God, that we would be receptive to that that we would be easy repenters, and that when all these things that we would acknowledge um, you, that we would turn from sin, and we would trust in you and follow you in every way that we can. Father, um, help us to these ends, God. Help us to be um, easy repenters among our family, among our workplace, among our, um, God, among our church family, uh, and those we meet out in the world. God, we need your help to do that. Um, We ask that you would work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
please stand and sing the closing song.
Thanks for joining us again tonight. Um, just wanted to make um, one kind of closing comment. Um, so we were joking. You see that we have this uh, beautiful green plant in our background today. Um, so some of the guys were were joking um, as we were doing these, and they were saying, "Hey, man, you know, you need to get a green plant in the background because that's just what you do when you're a speaker. You just when you're on video or on stage or something, you got a green plant in the background." So we were making a lot of jokes about that. Well, um, on Saturday, um, our friend Brandon Stores. Um, uh, we helped him pack up because he is moving to uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. And so most of you guys know um, Brandon. Um, he has been an integral part of our church. He's been with us from the very beginning. Um, he is a guy who's taken on um, a lot of responsibility with things like um, he shared the pulpit some. He's come and, and, and filled the pulpit for us um, some. He's done teaching some discipleship classes and stuff. Um, he's just been a, a super faithful uh, and helpful dude, guy that I've known for a lot of years. And so ordinarily, if we were all meeting together in a space, man, we would come up and have a time of prayer um, for Brandon. But obviously, we can't we can't do that right now. But I wanted to to say that and acknowledge that. Um, and just kind of uh, put his name on your heart so that you would um, remember him and, and his fiance Maddie, um, and that um, as, as he kind of gets situated in, in Cleveland, um, where they'll be living after they get married, um, that you just pray for him and that you would bless, ask God's blessing on them and that he would um, connect down there and find um, uh, ways to to serve and grow down there and then just pray for for his his marriage and um, and that that date that is coming up soon and just um, all those things he 's a guy that we 're going to miss obviously he 's not that far away I and mean, we 're going to see him again he's he 's not disappearing so this is not like the brandon stores memorial uh, tree right it's just it 's just a tree um, but but we thought we 'd put it in just as a little nod to Brandon oh yeah because we got it from his house that 's how that whole story happened. Um, he was throwing it out and I was like, dude, are you going to get rid of that tree? Cause we could really use that in the background. And he was like, yeah, you can have it. Go for it. And so, so now we've got Brandon stores, uh, memorial tree, um, or whatever. So anyway, um, again, thanks for being here with us this week. Um, we will see you again, um, at five o'clock next Sunday as we continue, um, in our study of Luke, um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you and give you peace.